Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast where myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take game and movie pairings and discuss them to see if they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production across both games and film. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today, we are looking at Erica and Black Mirror Bandsnatch. Erica is a full-motion video, or FMV, game developed and published by Flavorworks and Sony Interactive, released in 2019. And Black Mirror Bandersnatch is an interactive movie directed by David Slade and distributed by Netflix, released in 2018. We chose this pairing as both Erica and Bandersnatch kind of blur the line between games and movies, with both being 100% filmed and edited with actors on set, and both giving the player or watcher different choices for what they can do and what they want to see happen next. That's it for the intro, and for now, let's get into it. How do you want to? How do you want to kick it off? What did you? What did you do first? I did. Well, I mean, I suppose technically I did Bandersnatch first when it came out, but when I went back to it for this, I did Erica first. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you prefer one over the other? Oh, definitely. In the end, yeah, definitely. I uh, I preferred Bandersnatch a lot more. Really, to Erica? Yeah. Which I was I surprised myself because, as you know, uh, I'm a pretty avid video gamer. Mm. And so I was surprised that ultimately after after doing a run of Erica, I was like, I don't want to do this again. I did not want to replay it. I was like, it was entertaining, but it it was a, it was not a good game. Like it's a very interesting experience, mm-hmm. but I didn't enjoy it as a game. Mm. Whereas Bandersnatch, when it first came out, I must have played it like, and again, it sounds weird to say played it because it's much more of a film. No, but you but play we'll, I guess we'll get into the, the blurred lines of film and game. That's another topic that I have that I, I want to bring up at some point. It's like, how do you define yeah. um, a game? And like, yeah. and like w- would you define Bandersnatch as a movie or a game? Because it's marketed as a movie, but like, it's a game. I feel like I feel like they're both something else. Need I think both Bandersnatch and Erica are are simultaneously films and games. Yeah. And what I found was that Bandersnatch feels like a gameplay loop because it pulls you in to the story and mm-hmm. then it, it gives you the one control option to go do this. You can you can make a choice, right? And that felt gamey because when you failed, or there's 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 no real fail state in Bandersnatch, right? Like a failure is just a different ending. And then it allows you to rewind, and that felt like a gameplay mechanic. And it actually requires you to um, fail and go back, mm. and it incorporates your failed pathways when you go back and continue with things. Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. I, so, <laughs> full full disclosure, I didn't actually play through Bandersnatch for again this time because I had played it so much last time. So I got my wife to play it for the first time. Oh, that would she'd never done it before. Yeah. So I got her to do it and I watched her and I, I tried not to egg her on or give her any ideas. But it was interesting because, yes, yeah, she she failed that very first major choice at the workplace where he says, do you want to work here or do you want to work from home? And it's interesting because the game doesn't punish you for choosing that. It just says, like, that's a bad choice and it lets you rewind. And, I, and she was like, oh, so, like, I failed. And it's like, it doesn't feel like, does it feel like you failed? And she goes, no. It's like, right, the game doesn't actually let you fail it just sort of says like that was a boring ending let's try again well to me in in that scenario too because like when i played it for the first time i did i did the same thing and and said yes in that choice um 
and it, it was like, oh, here's like the ending that you got from like this first choice. And to me, that felt like, oh, so you're telling me that was the wrong choice. Like you as the game is telling me as a player, no, you chose wrong. Go back and start again, which feels shit. But yeah, I was essentially it feels shit, but it does feel like a video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's where I uh, like came up against the wall with Bandersnatch a lot, where it's like, um, it felt like the game just wanted to shoehorn me into the specific narrative that it, it wants to tell, um, regardless of like what I wanted to try and do with it. But at the same time, like, you know, I, uh, there, there is that really cool element of when you go and have the acid trip with Colin and then mm. um, if he goes over and dies and then you go back and he's like not present in it anymore, mm. no matter what choice you go and no matter what choice you go back before you've gone to take the acid trip with him. Um, yeah, it is It is a really interesting concept where like it's meta in itself in a way that Erica just isn't. Yeah. So that like it really does incorporate every every choice you make, even if it's a bad one and you fail, doing air quotes, you fail. Yeah. You get to try again, but those choices matter. You still now have to live with the ramifications of some of those choices. So, I, okay. with uh, So when you played Bandersnatch when it first came out, uh because like I think the average runtime, and I put runtime in quotes, because I'd say playtime as well, uh, to complete it is an hour and a half. When I did it, I completed it and then went back and did every choice. And then when I did every choice, I actually started from it again afresh because I wanted to see how long I could go with Colin still being alive and around. So mm. I ended up doing the whole thing like twice and spent like four or five hours on it, I think. How did, when yeah, you, when you played it for the first time, like what did you do? Did, did you do a similar thing where you wanted to try and find every little pathway? Yeah, I feel like that's a gamer gamer move yeah. uh, to 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 finish it and then go, okay, I get it. Um, it was fun. I want to see all of the possibilities that I didn't see, or or you have like as you said, like you want to keep Colin alive. Like, is there a way to beat it where Colin lives? And yeah, and it, like- there is, but like he doesn't really feature if you do that. And it's also like, you know, was there any like further content that I might have missed out because I made a choice too early on that I missed? Yeah, that, that was the other thing. You're like, I want to see all of the content. I, I don't want to miss anything. I do that with, uh, with it, it It doesn't come up in games like Erica, but certainly I, I'm one of those like OCD, yeah. largely because of my ADHD uh, type people where in games like I'm at the moment, I'm playing Mafia 3 and every every time something pops up on the minimap i have to investigate it i have to collect the whatever it is i can't let it go and it means nothing i'm gonna get an achievement at the end especially if it's like a secret right if it's like a question mark that pops up on the minimap i'm like i need to know what that is i have to i have to have it yeah <laughs> there's a collectible set of posters literally does nothing you, i'm not even sure there's an achievement for getting them all but i have to have them i well, can't have one missing that's another thing in terms of like the uh like the collection achievement hunting right it's like if i know that it's a poster and that the game wants me to collect 100 posters to get an achievement. I'm like, I'm not going to... I used to do that. I'm not going to do it anymore. But if the game is like, there's a secret thing here, go check it out. I'm like, oh, I, I want to know what the secret thing is. You know what's funny, actually? Because games have started to acknowledge that people do that. And so gameplay design now will factor in the desire for players to check every weird nook and cranny. So you can often now in games like I, do, I remember playing Doom Eternal and it's like they know that you're going to do that. And so they hide stuff in places that you will go looking. So as soon as you see a corridor where it's like go left or go right, 
if the main gameplay seems to be going right, I want to go left first because I don't yeah, want to miss yeah. it out. That's, that's um, it's it's like uh, even even if you take a game like Mario for example, it's a two D side scrolling thing, and it tells you go right. I'm immediately going to be like, but what if there's something left? Yeah, I have to know. I have to, if the game is telling me to go in one direction before I go there, I must check every other direction. Oh, I think it's funny because I was thinking with Bandersnatch, it's kind of the same, except that you're not aware of the alternate paths until you've done a run through. Yeah, because it's not obvious that there's hidden places, right? But once once you've finished it and you understand what's happening and you you can kind of grasp the meta nature of it, now you're not worried about your storytelling choices. Once you've finished it, the story doesn't matter to you anymore. Now you just want to see what weird shit you can make happen. <laughs> Well, that was another thing. Like, I, like Bandersnatch was like, I thought in a way almost too meta. That that might also be like my cynical perspective on it. Um, but I, I I thought it was like it was it was trying to be like too meta and too clever and too self aware. And then I did I did find that yeah, it's very self aware. So uh, we so that we can I mean number one massive spoilers. If you haven't played Bandersnatch, listen no further because we're going to give away some huge stuff here. Mm. But what 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 was the primary ending that you got? Oh, I uh, I think the first ending I got. Oh shit! I'm gonna have to like try and remember when I played it for the first. You gotta time. go back in your brain, yeah. Um, when I played it again uh, the other night, I think the first ending I got was, uh, I went with, um, Colin to do the acid trip, and then I put myself over the edge because I didn't want him to die yet, and then I went back. And and the game like very much wants you to talk to the psych about your mother. And I try to avoid that as much as possible, but like the game will just shoot, like bottleneck you into that choice. Um, and then I think I went down the whole storyline um, where I'm at, at home working on the game, and the, and the boss keeps calling you. And then I think Colin comes to check you, and I think I ended up killing Dad. And so that's that's yeah, that's one that most people get. Yeah, yeah and chopping up the body. And that because that's that's how you kill that and, and don't have the body found. But then I think you, you you go to jail in the end anyway. But that's the ending also where you get the best review for the game. Yeah, so that, you could you could argue that that's the correct ending in terms of if the game is about making a game, and then you have successfully made a game because you you win because no matter what ending you get, it'll have that um, uh, jump forward in time with the person reviewing your game, and it's always going to like tell you like how the game did and. Um, how many stars out of five and it's only that ending where you kill and chop up your dab where they call it the perfect game yeah it's kind of like as you say like it is it is shoehorning you into it so that you are you're sort of aiming or you don't you don't know that you're aiming for that ending at first right yeah it's only after you failed a couple of times and you always see that that kid reviewing the game and you go hang on a minute that's the game telling me how i did yeah the star rating that he gives the game is actually bandersnatch giving me as the player a star rating and and, okay. and also like you know bandersnatch telling you like you did like the great job with killing your dad i think it's tying it into black mirror a lot i've only seen the first season of black mirror i haven't seen many el- many other episodes um well that's the beauty of black mirror you don't have to have seen yeah. anything other than one or two episodes and, and it makes sense yeah like i saw i think um the first i mean the very first episode is one i watched with um the uk prime minister and the pig fucking That's a banger yeah and it's a i mean it's a bold episode to start off with and i, I thought it was great <laughs> especially because it later turned out to be based in reality did it oh you didn't hear about that yeah yeah there was a whole <laughs> this is okay i have not i'm gonna clarify this i have not researched this at all so don't <laughs> t- me t- tell me tell me okay, your unbiased unresearched thing <laughs> but what i what i remember is that not long after that aired, or it might have been a year or so after, there was a UK politician. He wasn't the PM, but one of the one UK politician 
actually maybe it was the PM was accused of in his college years uh you know there was a dead pig at some sort of party and he may or may not have like put his bell end in the mouth of the pig or something to that effect I didn't I didn't read the details oh my god you can tell I didn't read much of it but I remember hearing it and going <laughs> lol Life imitates art, art imitates uh, life. What a great, yeah. wonderful world we live in. It makes me think of like one of the more recent American Pie movies and like part of their way of, um, uh, I forget the term, but like bringing on a, a new people into the fraternity. And like it's meant to be a joke and not, they're not meant to actually do it, but like it's putting them locked by themselves with a sheep in the barn. And then, to, and then they're meant to, and then they meant to come out of like a used condom. And it's implied that they fuck the sheep, but, my, but most people will just yep. jerk off into the condom. Um, Most people, but not everybody. And then there was like one character that actually fucked the sheep. And it, it, yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. Didn't think we'd be going into bestiality this quickly, but here we oh, are. Oh man! Well, we're talking Black Mirror. It's a key. It's a key point of the of the show. <laughs> yeah. It's literally the first episode. Actually, I did. I remember hearing it might have been an interview with Charlie Brooker where he was talking about how they nearly didn't make that the first episode because of how confronting it was. Or it might have been that, I can't remember who it was, it was like BBC4 or somebody was like, we don't want that to be the first episode. And he was like, it's going to be. I think, I think it's actually, for Black Mirror, it's perfect for the first episode because it's, it's taking a really bold stance and being like, this is what we're doing. So it, it, like, if you're ready to sign up for this, get ready for a fucking wild time. Yeah, it draws a line in the sand. If you're not into this, you should not watch this show. And then what was it? The, the second episode was the one, like, the futuristic, um, everyone's in their, like, TV cages and constantly having ads at them. I'm pretty sure, yeah. That was either second or third, yeah. That's such a good episode. I, I do, okay, to loop it back to, to Bandersnatch, though, this is this is yeah. an interesting thing because it, it talks about a win state, right? And that, that does feel very Black Mirror in that the game has a lesson for you. Like, like it has something it wants to teach you. And that's a very Black Mirror slash Twilight Zone type thing. There's a moral. It's a parable. It's a fable. It's not enough to just finish it. Yeah. What, what, what do you think it's trying to teach you? I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but it's something to do with changing the past and accepting the past to move forward in the future. Because the other ending, the ending that, that Kathy got while, we, while I was watching her play, she she died a couple times mm. or, or, or created fail states and then ended up playing through she went to the psych and there's something in here about how my wife's a social worker so she was not afraid of that outcome she was like i'll talk to the psych that sounds like a very healthy idea let's do that sure and she ended up um as soon as the psych session started and she was like this is not entertaining why did i choose this like she realized that it wasn't a fun gameplay move and she's not a gamer so that was a really interesting thing to for her to realize yeah, is that right. like oh if I just treat it as a movie this is boring and then the the the, the movie Bandersnatch tells you Wow, this is really boring. If if you were being watched, surely they would want something more entertaining. And the options that pop up on the screen are just yes or fuck yes. So it's very much shoehorning you into making a, a yes decision. But of course, my wife she flips from, okay, we'll treat this like a serious movie to oh, it's definitely a game. Okay, and so she went with <laughs> fuck yes, and it erupts into like this big action scene, this yeah. big fight scene, and of course you end up, um, you know, he he wakes up late at night. And he remembers this thing from Colin during the acid trip about how mirrors let you travel through time. And he goes into the mirror, goes into his past life, moves the rabbit so that he can find it yeah. so that he's no longer late for the train. And so it gives you this whole plot line of how to like prevent your mother from dying. But then you realize you can't prevent her from dying, but you can get on the train with her. And so Kathy's ending was a good ending from the sense that the kid dies, the main, the main character dies, but in his mind he went back in time and he died on the train with his mum so he's happy 
And it's like, that's a win state. So it's it's interesting that there are, it is trying to shoehorn you into one direction, but there are multiple win states. If you want to finish the game as your win state, you can do that. If you want to salvage the relationship with your mother, you can do that. With that ending in particular too, uh, it's so much like that. That I, I think that's meant to be like the happy ending because like the character has gone through stuff and we're, and like has decided to to. Uh, I'm gonna say regress into that position and go there because mm. because it does cut back to like him in the psych office and he's just sitting in the chair, he's dropped dead. Mm. Um, but I, I love the idea that he um that that's just how our current world perceives him. I I very much vibe it like a Donnie Darko thing. Like, I, I feel like Donnie he actually Darko. went back in time. He's not just doing that in his mind. He literally figured out how to travel through time. And it's just that that happens mentally because your body can't leave its three-dimensional space. That makes sense. I mean, that ties into the, into the whole um, acid trip with Colin and like everything is fake. We're, in, we're just in one reality or we're in one, one um, path timeline and you keep going back. Because also like when you, when you play the game for the first time and you go into the office and you meet Colin... Uh, you say hi, blah, 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 blah. But whenever you go back, it always focuses on him in that scene. And he says, we've met before. Referencing all the other pathways that you've done in the game. Man, that's such a good point. I, I, found, I found, yeah, Bandersnatch is very meta in a way that Erica isn't. Yeah. And, and, and ironically, that means to me that Bandersnatch feels more like a video game than Erica does. Erica feels more like a movie. Yeah, well, especially because Erica... Um, when you play it through, is just two hours. Like, and and its tagline on it is an interactive thriller. It's very much, mm-hmm. it's very much still a video game, especially because it's on uh, Steam and it's on PlayStation and all that. And like, mm-hmm. and like, when you're presented with a choice, it's not always just two choices. And you have more interactivity in terms of like opening books and flicking the lighter and that kind of thing. But compared to Bandersnatch, Erica does feel like more of a movie. But then Ban- it's so funny. It's more interactive, and yet at the same time, yeah. feels less game-like. Yeah. Uh, and then Bandersnatch, I, I, I would say, feels more like a game, and is a game. I so this, this this is the point I wanted to bring up too. Is how do you define a video game? Mm. We're we're getting into some speaking of meta. This is meta, right? Because you're yeah. you're you're trying to figure out what what the definition of something is by looking at two things that are already trying to branch out from an original definition right so you sort of have to reverse engineer it bandersnatch when it came out was like marketed like this is an interactive movie basically yeah. basically like bandersnatch is netflix's first interactive thing marketed to a movie streaming audience specifically marketed to a non-gaming audience whereas erica is an interactive movie made for and marketed to a video game audience yeah it was it was interesting because i definitely when i I did okay so i didn't know what erica was until it was available for free on playstation plus yeah so um i knew what it was prior to this podcast but if i if i go back in time a bit when i when i first saw it i just grab all the playstation plus games when they come out i just grab them because yeah it's free game so i had it downloaded i didn't know what it was and i booted it up to play it and it was like do you want to use your phone to play this and i was like what are you talking oh, about oh is that to do the controls i pl- yeah you I, can I control it using your phone because i played it on steam so i just i just did it yeah, with my mouse don't i don't think it works on steam but on on playstation 4 <clears throat> you can download an app and it's called like erica ps4 or something like that and you can control the game from there but it gets awkward because i had a lot of technical issues obviously when this first came out uh 5g wasn't a thing and so the the your your PlayStation 4 console cannot 
connect to both a 4G and a, uh, uh, sorry, I'm thinking the wrong thing here, not 4G, 5G, a 2.4 gigahertz or a 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection. Can't do both, right? You have to pick one. Yeah. So the problem is, of course, my phone is connected to my 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi because it's faster. And my PS4 is on my 2.4 gigahertz because I don't play online with my so PS4. That, so they're care. technically on a To make matters network. more confusing, yeah, go on. Oh, that, that was it. They're, like your phone and your PS4 are on different Wi-Fi networks. Even though, yeah, even though so it's they're, the they're technically thing. on the same household connection. They're on the same network. But the game can't figure that out. It can't find it. So even though they're all connected to the exact same Wi-Fi router, and my, my router uses the same connection, so it's not even a separate Wi-Fi thing that you have to connect to. If you look it up on your, your SSIDs, it's just one because the software in the router automatically assigns something to the best possible network for it. So the, pro- the problem is that then breaks the ability to use the phone. Can't do it. And the, the PlayStation was like, do you want a hotspot from your PlayStation? I didn't even know the PlayStation could do that. Apparently I. your PS4 can create hotspot specifically for this game what the fuck? just so you can use your phone on it. I mean, that's, that's really good, but I had no idea that it had that capability. I know. I was like, what? I've had this for how long? I didn't know. Anyway, I, f- I finally gave up on the, the phone and I used the controller. And of course, on the PS4, it uses the touchpad on the controller. Right. So it's so stupid. It makes no sense. But it's obviously they're like, oh, PlayStation 4, it's got the touchpad that no other console has. It's a gimmick. We've got to do it, right? And it's so annoying. It just drove me insane. And to the point where it wasn't a fun gameplay experience. Yeah, right. So I, I put it down. I remember playing it for about 10 minutes when I first got it and was like, no, nah, no, thanks. So when we went back to it for this, I started a new game and I, I got further into it and I just was like, all right, I got to put up with the controls. Let's do it, whatever. And the thing that blew me away was like, it's so awkward at first and I hated it. But once you're like 20 minutes, 30 minutes in, you stop caring and you're just like, whatever, dude. Yeah, right. You know, you're, you're fine using it. But it was a very interesting way because I'd never played a PlayStation game that's just the touchpad. No buttons, no triggers, no nothing. Like that was that was interesting to me. That that made it feel more like it was trying to be a game than Bandersnatch. But at the same time, they they remove so much of what could have been fun gameplay with the controller. Because keep in mind that the PlayStation Four's got the uh, the six axis control. It's got movement controls. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much stuff they could have done, and they didn't do any of that. It just uses the touchpad. So they've almost taken a step back. That's so you know weird. what I mean? Like if Bandersnatch had game controls, it would have been more like a game. Erica had that opportunity and it didn't take it. That's so interesting. Because like, cause I, yeah. cause I, I have Erica on the PlayStation as well, but I haven't played it on there. I, d- I just played it on Steam. So everything was just like pointing and using the mouse. So I, d- I didn't have any of that technical barrier at all. Um, yeah, no, it's all it's all touchpad. And so to keep in, like to, to put him in speaking right, you know, you're making choices on the screen. Yeah. And... I, I gather on the Steam one, you got to move your mouse over the option that you want and click it, right? Yep. And also like so uh, on PlayStation Four, yeah, go on. And also like when when there's like movement controls on screen, like when you're opening a box, you're just like clicking mm. and dragging with the mouse. Clicking and dragging, right? So on PlayStation Four, you don't do that. There's no clicking. Instead, you've got just the touchpad. And so when there's multiple options on screen, it's sort of like you have to find where your mouse is. So you have to like rub the touchpad a little bit to see where the little dot is. Yep. And then instead of clicking, you just you just move the, the little orb over to the option you want and then let it go. Yeah, right. And that, that's, that locks in your option, right? And when you're trying to open books and stuff or turn pages, you're just flipping. You're just swiping the touchpad. So it's super boring because you literally, the whole thing is you're just moving your finger, like swiping on. And that's why you can do it on a phone, I'm assuming, because it's that easy, right? But it's really boring. 
does not work for me as a game. I was like, this is a this is both a very slow movie and a very not interactive game. It is it is a very slow paced movie. Uh, well, I know it says takes two hours. Could have been forty, man. Come on. Well, that's that's the thing. Like when I first played it a little while ago, I think I played it for forty minutes and like this ended up playing something else because it was more interesting. And I didn't come back to it until I was doing it for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. It's also interesting with what you said about uh, Bandersnatch and, and also like Doom and stuff, like going in and then trying to get like every little pathway. Erica wants you to do that. Like it wants you to play again and do the other things. Um, and I did once, so I got, I got two endings. I was I, I was not inclined to do it again, though. It, like, yeah, I, I did it once. So what what, en- what endings did you get on Erica? So the, the, the ending I got was uh, she, what was the ending? She joins the cult. I killed the doctor. I shot the guy, oh, yeah. the guy who runs the hospital. I shot him. And then instead of burning down the place, I continued forward. Right. And you like join the cult and it's like, oh, she's the one who sees the future now. Congratulations. And you become the priestess. You become the priestess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then uh, what was the, so when you went, did it again, what was the next ending you got? Well, this thing, I didn't do it again, but I'm aware of what the the other ending I could have had was to burn the place down. And I gather she burns it down and then escapes. But you still kill the guy. So with me, uh, when I played it through, I made a point to try and not kill anyone. So I the first ending I got is like when you um, have the head guy uh, at the point where you killed him. I didn't kill him. He How did you not kill him? I had like... It's like an option to spare him, but I think she kills him anyway, doesn't she? Or no, she. You, there is a way to not kill when him. When it focuses on the gun, you can either pull the trigger or lower it. Ah. And so uh, I lowered it first, and then like it goes in for a hug, and then he injects the thing with a needle in you, and then drugs you, and then basically you become a patient um, at Delphi House, and that's the ending. My next ending, I was like, okay, I know like who's bad. <laughs> I'm going to kill that guy. Uh, I got to that same point with um, lighting the thing. And, and instead of joining the cult like you did, I burned the place down. And I escaped with a couple of friends got that ending. So I feel like I feel like there's got to be only three or four endings total, right? Like there can't be that. Because again, like it does shoehorn you towards Because there's achievements. There's achievements for like specific things you can do on the way. Like if you spend time with this character or this character... Mm. Or if you slap this character in this moment and that kind of thing, and it wants you to like try and find all those moments, um, but like, eh, I just couldn't be asked watching the the very slow meandering story to get to those moments again. Not worth it. I used to be a really uh, addicted achievement hunter. I would be all over that. Yeah, but for this one, no, couldn't do it. Couldn't bring myself to do it. It was too much. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like the choices carried real consequence. Whereas Bandersnatch made me feel like I had control over the story. This was like, I was just clicking options to see a different version of a story. This felt much more like a, um, by the numbers, choose your own adventure. Whereas at least Bandersnatch, maybe because it was meta, mm. it, it was more interesting than a traditional choose your own adventure. It had a new dimension to it that I did want to explore. Whereas Erica was like, I've, I've seen this before. That's a good point. I know what's going to happen. Um, I feel like with Erica too, like I just didn't give a shit about most of the characters. Oh man, I was so suspicious of everyone. So Kathy was sitting next to me while I was playing it. And the whole time I'm like talking to myself slash her, but she's not really listening. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going like, that guy's up to something. Yeah, yeah. She's a criminal. That guy, she's she's the real villain <laughs> here, blah, blah. And she's like, oh my God, like they can't all be bad guys. I'm like, they can, they definitely can. This is a video game. Everybody could be a I mean, villain. especially when it's a whole like conspiracy theory with, with Delphi House. 
I mean, I do that with horror movies. I just go in assuming like, oh, this person is going to die. This person is going to be bad. This person is going to be blah, 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 blah. Um, and just raise my expectations to the roof. So that way, like no matter what happens, I'm like, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, I didn't care about the characters and it was almost like I was too cynical. Yeah. Like I was so suspicious of everyone and I was just like, I don't believe you. I don't care about your backstory. Spe- you're especially trash to me, the, whatever. Especially the detective cop character. He was Oh, that dude. What was he, he even was for? Oh my useless. god. Holy shit. He he was the dumbest worst character in the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I hated that guy. Oh my god. The, um I was surprised by the blood. That that surprised me. That very first where her father is like murdered in the Oh, yeah. It's a very gory game actually i don't know why i didn't i just didn't expect that something about it being the because okay to clarify if you're not sure what we're talking about eric is not full motion video in that it's a video game that has video elements the whole thing is a film yeah and they've shot it like a film and i just was not expecting that level of of gore in the first like 20 minutes and when i saw it i was like damn this is high production value they really went all out for this okay yeah and and um the, uh, another point I wanted to bring up with Erica specifically was the music and the soundtrack, because um, oh yeah, I thought I thought the music was incredibly well done, and I remember I remember seeing so when I finished it the first playthrough and saw who did the music, it's Austin Wintery, and then when I played pl- went and did like my second playthrough, and at one point Erica finds um, a record of uh, the mm. song is like something Delphi House. Yeah. By A. Wintry. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, they put the, the video game composer, like, in universe for this song. Um, and then they're playing the song on a piano, too. And the person playing it's like, it's by some guy. I was just like, oh, it's a funny little nod. Um, but I also, so I, I went onto um, Austin Wintry's YouTube channel, and he has a, like, a two or three minute video explaining his process um, working on the music for Erica. Um, and the, the scene example he has is when you go back to the apartment. And you can either stay in your apartment or follow the, the detective into the next apartment and you find... Yeah, yeah. And um, there's so many different things you can do. And he's explaining, like, how he does the music and how it changes depending on, like, how long it you take to make a choice and then what you do and then, like, all the different elements. And he just did a, a big breakdown of it. And it, it made me really, uh, like, realise how much work went into it and, uh, like, really respected it because it was so incredibly well done. Man, I should watch that. I do. I do think the the audio elements were fantastic, and especially when you consider the way it must have been shot or the way that it's been planned to give you that breathing space to make those choices. Yeah, the audio has to continue. Yeah. So when when they're giving it to him as like, oh, we need like a three minute song, but we're going to need you to have like ten second intervals that loop really well. When he um in the breakdown video he did too, like he put up like the the game design map along with like the audio map. So you can see um, the different pathways you can take and then like how many different shots, film shots are in those pathways um, and the different ways they can go and then like the different elements he has in the music. Like if there's uh, some strings here for like a horror moment or if it's mainly um, like some deep bass or whatever. It was it was really interesting. But that might also just be, yeah. that might just also be like the filmmaking game dev side of me just wanting to know all the behind the scenes stuff for everything. But I, oh, I definitely got strong vibes out of that when I when I was probably about halfway through it and I was like, man, this is not entertaining me. Like I'm I'm gonna finish it because I do want to see how the story ends, but it, I'm not hooked. You know, I'm very yeah. much over this whole rubbing mechanic on the bloody controller. <laughs> but 
I was sitting there thinking, God, this is fascinating. How have they shot this? Look at some of the way this is filmed and put. And I was like, oh man, I would love to do something like this. It really did spark a bit of something in me going, man, there are so many projects that could be really interesting like this. And you often see it um, in like those edutainment type games these days where it's like it's a point and click or something for kids and it's like trying to teach them something. And I'm like, imagine if you could do something like that that was clearly for for kids, but on this level of production value. Oh man, you can have a lot of fun with that. Well, that's another thing. I think in terms of the production uh, and behind the scenes of Erica, I love it. And I would I would love to see what more can be done in that sense. Is I thought, unfortunately, the actual story for what Erica is about, it, this wasn't as engaging as I would have liked. Even though it's meant to be like a yeah. like a high end like cult conspiracy th- conspiracy the- theory um, uh, thriller, people dying or all kinds of shit going on, which would normally be like I, like that sounds amazing. I'd, I'd be into that, but then it's it just very slow paced and the characters were just awful. And That's so true. The, it's the execution that I didn't enjoy. If you if you pitch that to me. As a concept, I'd be all over that. I'd be like, "Yes, this is my jam," but actually playing it, I was like, mm, "This is this is a struggle. This feels like a slog." And it might be the it might be the timing of it. I mean, the acting was okay. There was some that were better than others for sure, mm. but it wasn't terrible to the point where I was like, "Oh God, I can't get through this." Instead, it was more that the the gameplay mechanics are what let it down. It takes too long. The decisions were painful to make. They didn't feel fun. So I'm like, really, what they had was a, probably a pretty good film concept and just a not very good game concept. I think, and if you'd flip that around, it might have been more like Bandersnatch. I think for me, because I didn't have that issue of of playing with a touchpad, because I could just use mm. my mouse. Uh, the actual like gameplay mechanics, I didn't have an issue with, and mm. I uh, I think because of that, I preferred that compared to Bandersnatch. Where it's like oh, you're just watching it, and then um, every now and then you have one of two choices, and it's always just one of two yeah, choices. True, true. Well, okay, so to loop back to defining a game, right? I mean, I feel like it has to have a gameplay loop. There's got to be a core gameplay mechanic. Yeah. Right? Because if you don't have that, is it really a game then? No. So for Bandersnatch, the core gameplay mechanic is that you you choose between one of two things and then you see how that choice plays out. That's it. That's the gameplay mechanic. But then it, but then it also really makes it important that you choose and go back and do other things. And incorporates that. Yeah, because it, it, it incorporates that. It loops back in on itself when you get to remake the same decision with better knowledge, right? Yeah. So that's an interesting thing where it's 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 core gameplay mechanic is is a loop. It's inherently a loop. With with Erica's one, it doesn't. The core gameplay mechanic is the same basic conceit. You have to make a decision, but it doesn't necessarily loop back on itself, mm. and it doesn't seem to have that. Um, it doesn't feel as fun. Whether the choices themselves aren't as entertaining. Or, because I mean, if you think about it, Erica, the major choices you get are things like open this book, do this other thing, go here. Whereas in Bandersnatch, you know, you start with stuff like choose your breakfast cereal, but then it's like, do you want to murder this guy? Do you want to pour tea over your computer? Erica only gets to those key, massive, momentous decisions much later on, where it's like murder this guy, or, or there's the bit where it's like follow this person into their apartment. Yeah. But it never felt like I. I, I could... Okay, well, actually, this is maybe it. Maybe Erica doesn't have a fail state at all. Like, I don't think it gives you an option that can end the game early. No. Uh, no matter what you do, um, you'll be going through the entire thing and, and the movie will end Man. where the movie wants to end. Maybe that's the definition then. Maybe for a game to be a game, you have to be able to fail it. I like how I'm describing uh, Erica as a movie. Um, yeah, I kind of feel... though. I feel like in the end... 
Bandersnatch is the game and Eric is the movie, even though on paper that should be flipped. Okay, so that, that was an interesting point you just brought up. The way you think what makes a game a game is that there should be a fail state. I think you should be. I think you have to have a fail state for it to be a game. If you can only win it, then it loses the the inherent um, gamble or the risk. Right? There's no there's no incentive. There's no risk incentive. You have to have a risk reward for it to be a game. Mm. I have to be. I have to either feel worried that I could fail, and so I'm trying to win, or I'm attempting to achieve something and there's something in my way. With Erica, there's nothing ever in your way. It's it's very much a paint by numbers. It's handed to you. And that makes it feel less like a game and more like a film because in a film, it's handed to you. You can't fail a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I remember uh, in high school, I asked uh, my mate the same question being like, to you, what makes a game a game? Like, how do you define a game? And his answer to me was, uh, it needs to have good narrative. <laughs> and... I, I looked at that and I, I kind of like poked and challenged that a bit, being like, okay, I know for a fact that the game you play most is FIFA. Yeah, I disagree on the narrative thing. Yeah, FIFA, number one. Also, if you're saying uh, a game is defined as a game by having a narrative, how do you separate that from a movie or a book or a TV show? Yeah. Uh, so I... There's so many games that don't have a narrative. I Actually, there's one on the Switch. Uh, that I've been playing recently, which probably does have a narrative, but I just haven't worked out what it is. Yeah. It's called Baba Is You. Oh yeah, and it's it's a puzzle game, right? It's a hard and puzzle that doesn't game. if it does have a narrative, it is very weird. Like it's a super esoteric narrative if there is one. From what I can tell, it's it's just a gameplay mechanic that expands upon itself. Or what about things like um, I play on my phone Two Dots. I've been playing Two yeah. Dots a lot. Oh, I really like that. Two doesn't dots. have a narrative. They tried to sort of paint one over the top where you're on some sort of journey. Yeah. But it's not. You're 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 matching coloured dots. That's the game. Well, here's another thing too. So you said fail states. I actually disagree with that because um, I Ooh. I think there's a lot of games um, that you can enjoy that don't have fail states and don't have that hard like lockout system. Well, it doesn't have to be a lockout system. I'm just saying there has to be a way to not succeed, right? What What are your sure. examples? Hit me. What do you got that doesn't have a, a, a fail state? Um. So Samurai Punk is a game called Feather where you're just flying around as a bird in this environment and you're like you're uncovering different secret areas and going and like taking things and stuff and even if you like fly down and crash into the thing it'll just like take you back up into the air and it's just it's just a calming relaxing flying around game um oh that's a really interesting point actually now that you've now that you've said it i definitely i can't think of off the top of my head but something like journey yeah, on ps4 yeah, yeah, yeah. for example I'm sure that that's got a fail state of some sort of, at somewhere where you can be attacked by an enemy, but it doesn't actually like end the game. No, it just like pushes you back two seconds or whatever, and you do. And it that's again. the thing, like like it, it, in that example too, it's a very gentle being like it, it'll mm. just push you back. It won't it won't end the game for you. So I think most games do have fail states, but I don't think um, what makes a game a game is having a fail state. Oh my god! Then we're wrong. What's what? What? How do you define a game? Oh my god! Is it? Is it? You're blowing my mind here, Stephen. Oh my god! <laughs> I think the, I think the, the this entire thing because this is a, d- a debate that people have endlessly and it's entirely subjective. Mm. I, I think honestly the the base thing I can boil it down to, and I can't really get it any more uh, finer than this, is that it's interactive. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe Erica just doesn't feel interactive enough. Actually, that's a good point. I, I don't know what it was like on Steam. There's moments where you have to like reveal a picture or something. Yeah. And you have to sort of like rub 
to do it. I bet you, you had to like hold you had to like hold the mouse button down and just like point it everywhere on the screen. Gotcha. But like so on the basically PlayStation, same thing you do on your phone. Yeah, exactly what you do on your phone. On, on the PlayStation, it's the same on the touchpad on the on the controller. But of course, the touchpad on the controller is very small. Yeah. So you end up just doing this. You can't really see what I'm doing, but I'm just rubbing my hands together. You're basically just rubbing the whole palm of your hand over the touchpad continuously. It's really boring. It's like you're jerking your PlayStation off for for no no one's going to come. It's boring. Uh, and I found that to me was kind of the the that was almost the fail state of the game was that I sat there and went. Ugh, oh, again with the rubbing thing. Okay. So it, maybe it's it that it needs to be interactive, but the interaction has to be fun. If it's not fun, then it's not a game. Or it needs to be engaging, right? So that's interesting that you said that that like to you was a, is a fail state, um, but that that might also just be like a mechanic that you're coming up against a wall. So it's it's could be. Uh, but then is that is that a mechanic that doesn't work and is therefore a, a fail state? I don't think it's a fail state in terms of the game design, but it's a fail state in terms of like it's not working for you. Like it's not in, it, it, that's not an intended thing. So, mm. um, like I think I think that's where and uh, like that other definition comes in. I'm trying to think of are we yeah go on. Uh, I'm just like trying to think of other games that don't have fail states. Um, are, are we gonna have um, are we gonna have comments on this? Can people can people give us examples? Yeah, tweet at us. Give us some examples of of games that either don't have fail states. Or, or of things that you think are games that don't seem to have or, a gameplay mechanic. Also, just like let us know what you think in terms of like how do you define a video game? Yeah, what do you, how do you define a video game? I, I think it is fascinating. You don't need a story and you don't need necessarily a fail state. Yeah. But I feel like you might need to have one or the other. Like, does it work? Could you consider something that is a game? Well, Feather that I brought up earlier doesn't really have a story either. No, but it, it has a mechanic of some sort. You're you're interacting with it. It's doing something. It, it definitely has like a like a core gameplay loop and a, and, and a yeah. mechanic that like you as the player like here's what you do. But that in that is also I think similar to what I was saying earlier, being like here's the interactivity for you the player to have. I, mm-hmm. I think like that in itself, like it's being interactive, makes it a game. Um, which in that sense, Bandersnatch is a game. Uh, uh, the other the other interactive stuff that Netflix has, they have the interactive Kimmy Schmidt special, which I tried out. And oh, that's true. And yeah, yeah. I I think because I haven't watched Kimmy Schmidt, and I don't think I like it because I, I played that and I I just did not have a good time. Oh no, you will honestly. It's a brilliant show. Is it that that is not an example of the quality of the show? Okay, that is a I love I loved the 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 choose your own adventure one the special, but I I loved it because I'm a massive fan of the show. Yeah, and I feel like that made a massive difference. I think what trying to play it without having seen the show, it's gibberish. Yeah, no, I I think that was a big part of it because like a lot of the characters are doing stuff that's clearly being like they've they've um set these people up in the show and I don't have that context. So I'm, mm. I was up against the wall of that. I know uh, Netflix also has the Telltale Minecraft game on Netflix just without all of like the major interactivity stripped out um, in terms of like combat, but all of the narrative choices uh, comes up on the screen for you to do. Well, I'm curious if, if that's what Netflix is aiming for when they're launching their new gaming uh, uh, arm of the company. The company, because mm. I know they just launched a couple of things in Poland of all places. Um, I can't test it out without a VPN, and I probably could do that, but I just can't be bothered to be honest. Oh, they got, but, oh, they got stuff live in Poland now. 
I believe so. Yeah, I saw something in the news ah, yesterday about it because I saw, and um, I'm vaguely curious to have a go. But I'm also like, it'll come to Australia eventually. I'll just wait. But I, I'm wondering if it's if it's all going to be that sort of choose your own adventure interactive type stuff, or are they going to branch out into more gamification? Because uh, this is a, this is a huge tangent, but I'm going to do it because I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So Google Stadia, I'm fairly certain we can all safely say is is. DOA that that's not been well received. Yeah, it's not really kicking. Oh goals. man, I was at I was at GDC in San Francisco when that was announced, and they did it as like a huge thing. And um, like being there, like in the room when it was announced, was bizarre. Then coming back and seeing all the stuff online. Yeah, so I, I have a feeling we can we can safely put that one to bed in the next couple of years. I feel like that's going to go the way of many Google ventures mm-hmm. have. I, I remember uh, Amazon games Google as well. In- Inbox, man. Inbox was the best app Google ever made and uh, it's gone. And now I have to go back to using regular Gmail. Hmm. But what, what I, what I, what I, the reason I bring it up is because um, there's a bunch of people online. I can't remember who because I read all this random bullshit. It's somewhere on Reddit, no doubt, that um, these people are discussing what if Google's avenue here is to treat Stadia as a service that they can provide to other companies. So what if Netflix, instead of developing their own game arm, they can just bootstrap Stadia into Netflix and call it Netflix Gaming. And on the back end, it's just Stadia. It's just cloud gaming. So then does Netflix, maybe they're not stuck doing these choose your own adventure type games. Maybe they can actually branch into having The Witcher 4 when it eventually comes out four years, five years from now. They could have it on Netflix and you can play it with any controller in your house. Yeah, well, Netflix is going hard on The Witcher at the moment too. Um, exactly. I'm thinking of stuff that they they have rights to that they could work with. I, okay, so again, huge conspiracy theory, but like, you know, remind me five years from now, hit me up, let me know where we're at. Let me know if I was yeah. right. Okay, conspiracy hat on. I predict, and I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I predict that CD Projekt Red is in recovery mode after uh-huh. the, the dumpster fire that is Cyberpunk 2077. I was so excited for that. And I, and I know, like, dude. I was so ready. I was. Oh. I wanted to love that game so much, so much. Since it was announced like seven or eight years ago, I was like, "This is like Cyberpunk synthwave. Like, this is up my alley to a T." And yeah. then and I was then so ready for it. So and I finished it, and it was like, it was alright. Oh, I, I just never bought it. Like, it was so soul crushing in terms of like what was what was happening with it. But okay, so so they're in they're in recovery mode from how bad that was. They've reportedly started working on Witcher Four already. They're like. Cyberpunk is dead. Let's move on. I thought The Witcher Three was the end of the of that game series. No, no. What they're what they've described it as is officially it's the end of Geralt's saga, right? But uh. there's more adventures to be had in the world of Witcher. So they've they've reportedly they're still working on some DLCs for Cyberpunk, but it's it's fairly clear to everybody that Cyberpunk is they're st- not they're going They're still planning special. on bringing multiplayer for Cyberpunk as well. I reckon that's going to get scrapped. I don't think that's ever coming. I reckon they've said that and I think they fired everybody working on that team or everybody's moved on to other stuff. Uh, I think the cyberpunk multiplayer team is now building Witcher 4. So anyway, I think they've started on Witcher 4 and it wouldn't surprise me if they end up having tie-ins with Netflix for that. Because they might, they like if you're, if you're in their position of needing to build back that goodwill, you, you want to leverage both sides of that fandom, not just of the games, but of the TV show and the anime and all this sort of stuff. Well, Cyberpunk or City Project Red also announced the Netflix anime series um, for Cyberpunk, like at the same time coming exactly. out. They're friends, the man. They're, they're tight. I'm sure that there's been discussions had about, okay, if you guys do Witcher 4, by that stage, we're likely to be on season four of The Witcher. Maybe it's time for a spinoff. So maybe the main character of Witcher 4 is going to be a character from the TV show that we haven't seen yet or that we have seen but hasn't developed well enough yet. Like, think about it this way, right? Dandelion 
as the narrator of both the the TV show and the uh, book and the video yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. You don't need Geralt. As long as Dandelion is the narrator for the new game, you can very easily tie that into the overarching narrative. You could do... And then there's a really easy segue from the TV show to be like, during season five, while Geralt was doing blah, 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 where was Dandelion? He was off having this other adventure with this other bloke. You could almost do an anthology series about like this, the stories that Dandelion is telling you. I mean, a lot of people brought that up and talked about, what about Vesemir, right? And so they're like, if he's going to be in the anime and he's the main character of the anime, why not have a completely different Witcher? Yeah. Be a diff- and we could go back 100 years, 200 years. Vesemir is going to be in the next season of the Henry Cavill one. Oh, that's great. I'm looking. Do we know who it is yet? I think so. Hang on. Let me, I, I can quickly yeah, look, look it up. It up. Um, my other thing... You can, you can hold me to that. I'm going to bet... 10 bucks that that's what happens that Witcher 4 is somehow tied to the Netflix show or that there is a Netflix tie-in of some sort Uh, okay Kim Bodnia from Killing Eve is playing uh, Vesemir oh man I don't know who that is I I probably should he's like so have you seen Killing Eve yeah yeah so um, the blonde girl her like mob father figure oh he's great he'd be a fantastic Vesemir yeah yeah oh man he's like uh danish or something man i'm so into that dude yeah he's good actually i haven't seen him much out he, in much outside of killing eve but i loved him in that he'll role. be a banger for sure for sure he's gonna be a great vesemir okay so he's got the exact right sarcastic attitude for it yeah yeah okay so i've got another question because uh Go this on. came up in conversation with um some film friends as well streaming as a service in an industry uh, and like it being over oversaturated at the moment, like like Paramount Plus has just come out, and I'm seeing all the ads for it, and I'm like, I'm not I'm not getting Paramount Plus. Like that that's that's a I feel like for me it's a waste of time and money when I already have like Stan and Prime and Disney Plus and Amazon. Um, so Netflix is branching out in terms of like they do all their Netflix originals, and now they're looking at games, and that's basically like their service is going to be their own content because everyone's pulling their content from Netflix for their own. For their own streaming service mm-hmm. give it five or ten years there are quite a few people that are predicting s- streaming as a service in an, in, in an industry is going to implode on itself oh yeah 100 so, it's the same as peak cable yeah it's the same exact problem all over again Net- netflix has and not just netflix streaming services have become the very problem that they sought to solve yeah because once once because because they didn't solve the actual problem right a huge part of, of Netflix and of other streaming services is to try to solve uh, distribution problems, Yep. which lead to things like piracy. And so they're like, okay, how do we eliminate piracy? Most people pirate stuff because they can't get access to it. That's like, there's a lot of research that backs this up. I actually, I'm literally sitting next to piles and piles of papers that look into this because I'm. it's part of my higher degree at the moment. This is what, like, Pigeon can see what yeah, I'm holding. Sure. There's a lot. My desk behind me, all of that stuff is research papers about this. So it sounds like I'm talking at my asshole, but I have actually looked into this. But for example, there's a, there's a huge issue here where you can solve the initial piracy problem of going, okay, well, we can solve distribution. We can get more people access to everything. It becomes a problem when that becomes a profit-making model, yep. right? When somebody goes, hang on, I can make profit by having more more of the content that everybody wants than anybody else. And that's when Netflix started, they had a very easy way of doing this. They were the, they were one of the only ones at the very outset who had these huge libraries of stuff that everybody wanted to watch. So if you wanted to watch, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, but for example, HBO didn't have a streaming service. Mm. So if you wanted to watch The Sopranos and you didn't have cable, if you didn't have actual HBO, 
where would you go? And so Netflix was like, we're going to mail you the Sopranos DVDs. Like that was early Netflix. We're literally going to mail you the DVDs. So when the streaming service comes up, they suddenly had this problem of going, okay, well, we can't get the streaming license to everything that we want. Right. So they had a bunch of films. I don't know if you remember this, but in the very early days of Netflix, they had a bunch of stuff that was available only on DVD yeah, or Blu-ray so that you, it was, it was listed on the, on the website. But if you tried to rent it to stream, you couldn't, they only had oh, the really? disc because they didn't own the streaming rights. Oh, yeah. interesting. And this, this continued for a good couple of years into this whole transition into streaming. And so they realized the problem that, that they're trying to solve is not actually piracy or availability. The problem they're trying to solve is a distribution issue, ownership rights. So we, we've spent years carving up the planet into these various little pockets and regions. You remember DVD regions? And you had like DVD region oh, four yeah. and five, whatever. Mate, I'm buying lots of Blu-rays, DVDs and Blu-rays. So, okay, DVDs have four regions, Blu-rays have two. Uh, thankfully, 4K discs are region free, so you can get those anywhere and they'll work. Um, and do you know why? For 4K, not not in particular. Because of streaming. Yeah. They had to go region free because streaming already did go region free. Yeah. Well, so this is this is the you, you, you see that as well, but like streaming is region locked as well in in terms of distribution rights. Um, but it isn't because VPNs exist. So this is this is the problem and they're Netflix having. Netflix is trying to fight that, but like yeah, but they can't. You can't fight it. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. They can make up new IP addresses and new VPNs. So like they they can't yeah. inherently block it out. Um, it's the same as trying to beat piracy. You can't do it. You never will. You can't get rid of it. It's it, it's the internet will not allow that to happen. Yeah. With, uh, so with Blu-ray regions, for example, uh, I so there's um, a few different like Blu-ray labels that I like to buy. That I like to buy. I love Arrow Video, which is a label that's uh, based out of the UK. UK has the same region as Australia, region B, so I can buy those and they play here no problem. Another one I love is Criterion. Criterion is specifically from America. They do release some stuff as region B in the UK, but like they don't specifically release it here in Australia. So a lot of the stuff when I'm buying from Criterion, I'm getting region A, which is the American region, which uh, Blu-ray players here won't, inher- won't inherently allow. I got myself a special Blu-ray player that I can go into the settings and just change which region it is. So I can get whatever I want. Uh, I just have to remember to actually um, switch the region on the Blu-ray player. Do you want to know an easier way to solve that problem? Ripping them on my computer. Just pirate it, dude. I mean, <laughs> this is the this is the thing that distributors and, and these companies are up yeah, against. Yeah, but I I love the all easiest the... solution to your problem is not buying a new special Blu-ray player. The easiest solution is to steal it outright, and then nobody makes any money. Yeah, but I love all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, but here's the thing: you can still get that. Yeah, different streaming services have that. You know, you can pirate that stuff too. This is this is this is what I'm trying to get at here: is that the 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 nature of having so many streaming services. I just don't want to advocate uh, illegal activity. No, I advocate it. I'll advocate <laughs> it. I'm a filmmaker. I 100% advocate piracy. It 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 makes total sense. It it is logical to pirate things, right? And it and it it baffles me mm. that the industry here hasn't wrapped their heads around that yet. Well, I mean, they're not competing against other regions. They're not competing against other streaming services. All streaming services are constantly competing against piracy and they haven't figured that out yet. So what, what's what's happening is streaming services are turning into the same problem that they tried to solve with peak cable. When there's 50 cable networks and they all cost 100 bucks a month, no one's going to pay for them all. Mm. So either one company starts to buy up all the other companies, right? So we see these massive mergers. We see Disney buying Fox and suddenly... You know, and it's different around the world because of the way these distribution laws work or the, the contracts work. But here in Australia, for example, Disney Plus 
is effectively a weird version of FXX or Hulu. Yeah. Right? So we, like we get now. things like Bob's Burgers and Family Guy and Fox stuff on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. You won't necessarily get that in America. Instead, that stuff shows up on Hulu, which Disney still owns a controlling interest in. Alien is on Disney+. Plus. Exactly. So so what they've had to do is figure out that the the legal agreement that they have with whoever actually owns that content, which in this instance is funny because Disney bought Fox, they own it, right? Yeah. But when they bought it, it already had distribution deals in place with other companies. And so they can't easily just pull the content, right? So Netflix uh, ran into this problem recently. I, I can't even remember which show it was, but it was either The Office or Parks and Rec or something that I think everybody it, I loves. I think it might have been Friends or The Office. might have been Friends. Yeah. Something left um, Netflix, right? And it was a huge deal because everyone's like, oh, where am I going to watch my friends now? Blah, blah, blah. Well, it goes back to who currently owns it, which I'm pretty sure is HBO, right? It's Warner. Or it's, it's actually, you know, wait. go deep enough and you realize that Warner Brothers is actually technically AT&T. <laughs> weird, oh, but what? there you go. That's weird. I actually, I'm, I'm thinking about that specific example as well. I, and now I'm thinking it might have been The Office, but I could be wrong. But whatever it was is Netflix's, mm. um, like the time on the on the rights for it, uh, like stopped. And Netflix, yeah. Netflix was offering the millions of dollars to have it for like the next year. But they didn't because um, whoever owns it uh, wanted to make their own streaming service and that and have that as their, as their big thing. And it's interesting. Exactly. In Australia, um, Foxtel has Binge as their service that they're trying to um, advertise to people our age. And all, all the ads they have for it is basically like, we have The Office and we have Harry Potter. If you want to watch those, you've got to use our service. And then like yeah. pretty soon after those ads happened, I saw that they were on Netflix and those ads stopped and like fucking get on your binge. Yeah. And the reason that they stopped is because both of those belong. Well, actually, I'm not sure about the office, but certainly um, Harry Potter is Warner Brothers. It's owned by HBO. Yeah. Right. So HBO, if you want to watch Harry Potter now, it's on HBO Max, which is another streaming service that HBO launched. And, and he, so and here's another the thing. next Game of Thrones may not be on Fox. It's going to be on HBO Max. And so they start to run out of this content that's getting them subscribers. So we're back to peak cable. Everyone has to generate their own content because they can't afford to buy other people's content. But now there's 20 streamers. And if I want to watch everything, I can't afford that. Yep. So you know what's going to happen? We're going to go back to pirating. With It's going to be the early 2000s all over again. People yeah. are going to either pay for one or two services and then pirate everything else. Or what would be legitimately catastrophic for streaming services is if people realized that they could start jumping in and moving because unlike cable contracts, streaming uh, subscriptions don't have a lock-in. So you could very easily binge everything you want on Netflix in the month of September and then flip to stand for the month of October and so on and so forth. And if that happens, then they're not generating the income that they need to create that new content. Yep. It's not sustainable. It will have to implode. Either they all have to buy one another until there's only two streaming services left and it'll be Amazon and it'll be Netflix or something to and that Disney. effect. Right? Or in a crazy world, Amazon buys Netflix, lol, yeah. and we end up with a perfect combination of brilliant user interface from Netflix, but amazing behind the scenes and IMDb linking from Amazon. Ooh, that would be golden. That's a hot take. Do you think Netflix is a good user interface? Yeah. Ne yes, absolutely. Netflix is by far the best user interface of any streaming service. I've even used. if you can't, and I've used a lot. Even if you can't easily search just everything they have on there, you you can easily search everything that's on there. The way that they have used the library system and the way that everything is indexed, if you can't find it by searching simply on Netflix, it's not on Netflix. Oh yeah, that's that's a fair point. So I I don't have a thing with that. So specifically with HBO in Australia, 
Mm. Uh, Foxtel has the distribution rights. Uh, for now. For now. But their their contract, it, it does last for like the next four or five years. So Yeah, but their contract is on specific shows. So it gets negotiated oh, every time. I, it's not an HBO overall deal. I was under the impression it was a HBO overall deal. Nah, it, it was originally. So from memory, I, 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 don't quote me on this. Don't at me in the comments. I don't <laughs> remember when this ended. But they did have an overall deal and it started sometime around Game of Thrones, which is why Game of Thrones was always on Fox, uh, Foxtel here yeah. in Australia. We should clarify, for those listening overseas, Fox and Foxtel are not actually technically the same thing. They they were, they absolutely were the same thing. But um, Foxtel is, is a bit like News Corp in that it's its own separate thing now from Fox, which is 20th Century Fox, owned by Disney. So in Fox in Australia, Foxtel is still a separate entity from Disney. Yeah, is Foxtel un- like it's under Rupert Murdoch still though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Murdoch very much still owns News Corp and 20th Century Fox, or not? Sorry, I've just done it again. He doesn't own 20th Century Fox. He owns Foxtel in Australia. Yeah. Now again, don't at me in the comments. There are some rumors that that's not true anymore, and that he may have very secretly sold off Foxtel to foreign investors not long ago, like a couple of years ago. The very fa- fantastic journalist Michael West has done some investigating in on this. No one seems to be able to get a straight answer. But anyway, the point is, I am 90% certain that the overall deal that they had due to the popularity of Game of Thrones is no longer in play and that they are now have, having to license specific shows. And that's why you will find that there are shows that are currently on HBO Max that are not on Foxtel because they don't have everything. They're picking and choosing stuff that they think Australians will want. It's also, I remember... Um Another th- another thing that comes to mind thinking about this is John Wick. So when I think John Wick, when, when either the first John Wick came out or John Wick 2 came out, it came out in America and then it didn't come out in cinemas here until like six months later. Um, oh, I, yeah, man. It's brutal. I got a worse one though. The Lego movie. We made that in Australia uh, yeah. and we still didn't get it for over six months after yeah, its release. It's, what? It's, it's, it's actually fucked. I remember talking to someone about John Wick um, because they they knew someone who worked on the distribution for the movie, and they asked, and this is what they told me. It's like this is like they asked this person, and then they told me it's like it's a bit through the grapevine. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, but they asked the person working in the, in, the, in the distribution like, why didn't you release it in Australia at the same time as America? And the answer was, Australians pirate anything anyway. They're not a priority. I mean, I've I've had that conversation with people before where they, you know, I'm talking to distributors, I'm talking to other filmmakers, and it's usually other filmmakers who say this sort of stuff because they don't they don't really get how distribution really functions. Yeah. And so they'll say stuff like, Oh, Netflix and quotas and we need to get the money back in the market, blah, 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 blah. And they don't realize that from Netflix's perspective, we're nothing. Australia does not matter to them as a business. Yeah. There are, if you, it's a really simple mathematics equation to figure out how many people live in Australia that are of an age that would be reasonably expected to have a Netflix subscription and then realize that only half of them actually do. That's how much money Netflix makes out of us. It's not enough. This is some really interesting stuff that's been happening in this um, VPN fight, right? Netflix realizes that they can't really beat VPNs. There's a whole bunch of stuff on the back end there which makes it largely impossible. What they can do is IP blocking. So if your subscription looks like it always logs in from Victoria, but suddenly somebody's logging in from Queensland, they can block that. So they're they're starting to block account sharing in that way. And it'll get worse. It'll be like your specific household IP 
is going to be tied to your account and you won't be able to share it with somebody who doesn't live in your household. But then what the fuck when you go traveling and you watch stuff on your phone or your laptop? Like, mm-hmm. uh, that- well, that's, that's okay. So conspiracy theory again, ready? Tinfoil hat, it's on. <laughs> A lot of people claim that that's why they started allowing downloads onto mobile devices for traveling. It's for that exact purpose. They want you to pre-download what you want to watch while you go traveling because they don't want Mm. you to be accessing your account from other countries. One, because it completely breaches the distribution agreements they have. If I log into Netflix in Argentina, I can watch all sorts of crazy stuff that's not on the Australian one. And that means I have effectively breached the distribution agreement that they have, but I don't get any trouble for that. Netflix does. So that's why they're trying to crack down on it. An easy way to solve that problem, and Netflix has figured this out, is to not worry about the distribution agreements at all. Instead, they want to buy content that they own worldwide. Yeah. They don't want to have th- stuff that's licensed to specific regions. So this loops us all the way back to DVD and Blu-ray regions. We've spent in the film industry, this is me talking in the royal way, I obviously didn't do this, but in the film industry in general, we've spent 100 years carving up the world into these little pockets so that we can make a maximum amount of money. I don't want to sell my film once for a million dollars. I want to sell my film 50 times for a million dollars. And that means I need to sell it to Germany, to France, to Spain. I want to sell it to Argentina. I want to sell it to Brazil. I want to sell it to Indonesia. Mm -hmm. All these places are their own separate thing, own markets, right? There's whole industries of the sales agents do this for films all the time. Audiences, though, don't care. They don't care that your film is available in Germany and France, but not Spain. No, they're going to take it. If you don't give it to them, they'll take it. And and that's, oh, that's fucked up. How can you justify that? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's reality. Yeah. If you work in the film industry and you don't understand how the internet works, it is time to educate yourself. It's like, take that John Wick example too. Like I had that conversation. It's been like, we pirate it here because it's available in America, not here. Like it's a, it's yeah, a, it's it, a self- If there was no delay, it wouldn't be a problem. It's, it's a self-eating cycle. If you, it, yeah. it's also like, if you treated us- on an equal level, people do want to go see it in the cinemas, but people will feel like they've been shanked or shafted or whatever because, uh, like, you're not letting us have it until like a year later. So then, like, what? It's actually a really good point. We've sort of Pavloved Australians into feeling like second class citizens. And so we just steal it anyway. We're like, well, they're never going to release it here on time. So we'll just vlog yeah. it. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, it goes into the, into the whole um, Australian criminal history thing. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely an Ouroboros here where we've got the industry treating us like criminals. And so we then behave like criminals and the industry goes, see, look, Australians pirate everything. There's no point releasing it in Australia. They're just going to steal it. And we're like, if you gave us the stuff, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, this this will all implode no matter what. Oh, right? yeah. Because the, the idea of a subscription streaming service that has 50 competitors is not sustainable. There's not enough you know, we could really get into like capitalism ruining the world and wage stagnation and blah, 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 blah. But the short version is it's just not sustainable. The amount of new content that they have to put out in order to get subscriber numbers to either stay or increase. Like, did you see this year or last year was the first time that Netflix subscribers didn't increase year on year? Uh, Like it's beginning. We're, We're seeing the beginning of this happening now. I'm not surprised. There is a peak saturation that is possible for streaming. And when you reach it, you're either having to generate more and more content, which means the quality decreases, right? And then it's a bit shit mm-hmm. and then people leave anyway. Or you switch to a video on demand style. And I, I again, don't at me on this, but I am, I'm going to predict within the next five years, we will see more streaming services either convert or emerge as video on demand instead of being streaming. So instead of being a monthly subscription, you buy your films one off. 
it gets into a whole thing of like digital rights management yeah, and ownership. Yeah. And I think that's really the key actual problem that piracy solves, right? And that's what distributors are actually up against is ownership of the product. Who owns it? Who can buy it? Where can they buy it? Well, piracy solves all of that immediately by saying, I'm going to pirate it and then it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it's it. Like- I can give it to a friend. I can put it on my phone. Anything. That's an, that's a, an example with Steam too, and I, I think like this like did the rounds a couple months ago, or maybe last year, or whatever. But when you buy something on Steam, you're not actually buying a, a copy of the game that you own. You're just you're just purchasing the rights to be able to play it on Steam's platform. Steam can at any yeah. point just remove your access. And and I do I do want to put a pin in this because I want to have a whole session about this. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about digital rights ownership in depth. But what I do want to do now, I want to loop it back to Bandersnatch and Erica. And I want to do this by saying, if I own Erica on my PS4, and there is a much deeper argument here. Again, don't at me in the comments. (laughs) I'm aware I don't technically own Erica, blah, 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 blah. We know. We'll talk about that in depth in another episode. But I have a copy of it. I have a digital copy on the hard drive of my PlayStation. With Bandersnatch, I don't. I don't own that. I never owned that it's always only available via a Netflix subscription. If I cancel my subscription, I'd lose access to Bandersnatch. Yeah. Now, that's that's an interesting dilemma to have. We can talk about this thing and talk about Bandersnatch and there's a public record of it. There's YouTube videos of it. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of stuff that makes it very clear that this product exists. If Netflix were to delete Bandersnatch, it's gone forever. Oh, you just made me- No one else has a copy of Bandersnatch. You've just made me think of another specific Netflix example because, you know- you're subscribing to their service, but whatever they have on their service, they can change at any point. Um, any point. Did you watch 13 Reasons Why when it came out? I did. I watched the first season. I yep. never saw the rest, yeah, yep. but I saw the first season. But, and, and, like, uh, and that season had a lot of backlash because of the suicide scene. And a, mm-hmm. a big content warning for people. Uh, I'll, I'll put one specifically for this in the intro as well. Oh, man, if you're not aware of what happens in 13 Reasons Why, so, like yeah. huge content warning. So, yeah, wow. Um, they show the suicide scene and like the camera doesn't cut away, right? And there was a huge amount of backlash, blah, blah, blah. And Netflix later actually edited that scene and and removed that scene from the show, uh, which I would, I would probably argue is a good thing, but it brings up that question in the thing like, this has been like, regardless of the product. So this, uh, I, I, I want to say that, I want to stress this isn't specifically arguing for this show in particular, but if they have any show and they decide to edit or remove or change it in some way after having finished and released it. Like, what what does that mean in terms of like, if here's our finished product that gets review reviews and all that, but then later on, here's like the the different the what the the one that we want to do now instead. I know I Di- Disney has done a lot of a lot of this with, with their old stuff too. Yeah, this is this is I mean, okay, Disney is killer for it. Disney does it all the time. Um, and you know, this is actually it folds in onto itself because uh George Lucas with Star Wars is killer for this, yeah. right? And Disney just runs with it. They do the exact same thing. But there's 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 something to be said about this in video games too, where we treat them differently. Video games are constantly getting patched and updated, and we we don't we don't generally consider a modern video game to be a finished product mm. per se. It's, until it's final patch but when is its final patch who knows well, right? especially if it's a game games as a service like apex legends for example uh, the game is free but it's constantly like here's like the current like season battle pass here's the new thing that's happening now here's what we're going to be changing and removing and adding in the future they constantly have that communication with players so they know what's going on but it's still yeah it's it's a living process it's a conversation it's a living yeah. breathing thing that's never the exact same each time you play whereas with a movie you you could reasonably suggest that 
you know, well, actually, a good example of this might be something like Blade Runner. Yeah, okay. So the original Blade Runner is not that good of a movie. But the director's cut, now that's a bloody good hmm. movie. That's a tasty morsel of film. There's a very good argument to be made that some films deserve to have a second chance, mm. that they weren't done properly the first time or they weren't finished. They needed more time in the oven. The Zack Snyder Justice League, it's the exact same scenario, except in this case, it was the incredible vocal outcry from the fans that got it done. Yep. So you start to think about this, and go, okay, there is a case to be made that we should allow artists to revisit their art and to do it properly, right? What I don't agree with is someone like a distributor or, or and this is, you know, as a film producer, this is me shitting in my own backyard here, but the idea that a production company or a producer should be able to go back and change a film because it's good for the marketing or it's financially beneficial, that doesn't feel right. That feels very mm, gross. Because then you're talking about things like, okay, if we go back and edit 13 Reasons Why and we cut that scene out or we edit that scene so that it's no longer so impactful or confronting, have we made the show worse in order to address public outcry or did we actually fuck up in the first place? Well, you know what else happened? Uh, so, because uh, I watched season two of that show as well. I, I didn't watch anything after that. But in season two before every episode, they have like the characters being like, if you're experiencing like depression or any of these things, here's like ways you can reach out for help. They didn't have that in the, in the first season and arguably they really should have. They probably should have, yeah. And I mean, okay, so maybe that's maybe that's the point here is that they they didn't do it properly the first time and so they've gone back to fix it. Having said that, though, I do think that fundamentally changes the the nature of the work, yeah. right? And so it goes from being this super confronting, incredibly full-on depiction of suicide and maybe in a very poor taste way, right? Maybe it should not have been done that way. I'm not going to advocate one side or the other. My, my point is more that it's not. It's not. It. It hasn't been a thing that we've been able to do for a long time to be able to completely remove the original version of something. Mm. Even today, people still. And again, this is hilariously thanks to piracy. We still have access to the original Star Wars films. People have copies of it online. People have done fan edits to undo some of the the modern reworkings of Star Wars, and so we don't lose that. There's an archival essence to that. There's a historical value to being able to access the original version of something that has been altered. If we go back and start doing this without telling anyone, like how many times has Disney edited something on Disney Plus and not told anyone? Mm. Probably a hundred times. There was a really good example with The Mandalorian where I can't remember, there was somebody's leg in frame. So there's like a, 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 pair, a leg in a pair of jeans in one shot of season two of Mandalorian. And within 24 hours, it was gone. Well, it's a similar thing with the coffee cup in Game of Thrones. Exactly. It's the same thing. So you're like, okay, I get it. They want to fix it for future viewers, right? Yeah. But there should be a record that that happened. Yeah. Like that's that's part of history now. You shouldn't be able to erase that. I have a... And now, now they can. They can effectively go back and either delete films entirely. And like I said, if Bandersnatch goes, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Because Netflix is the original creator and distributor, they hold all the rights. Whereas things like Star Trek at the moment is in a really interesting pickle. Star Trek is on two different streaming services at the same time, and it's different. And the fans have started to notice, and they're pissed. Oh, wow. The the version of Star, of Star Trek that's on, uh, I think it must be, it's called CBS All Access uh, in America. It has slightly different edits. The episodes are shorter in some places for some reason. And, and at first, fans were like, am I going crazy? Like there's things missing from this what's happening and then they went back and realized it's still on netflix in other countries and so they went back and started watching it there and they went no hang on there's been major edits made to the original shows that they have not publicized 
It's like a, you know, they did it with uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, they sped up Seinfeld in order to fit ad breaks in better. With a, and so Seinfeld is different episode lengths on streaming versus on TV. Uh, the Simpsons on Disney Plus, all the original episodes are in four three aspect ratio, but Disney like yeah. zooms it in, and crops it for a um, sixteen by nine. And oh, they did this with Buffy. And there's a there's a lot. This is there's yeah. a lot of like visual gags and information that gets missing. And then you don't have context for stuff that happens in the episode. And like, I don't think Disney has fixed it. And there's been a lot of outcry for they it. Have, they have, they have. There was a big thing about Disney went back and fixed most of it. But they, this is where you get kind of funny about it because they, when they fixed this problem, it was a sweeping fix. It was like a bug fix. They went through and just went like, right, boom. Every episode before now is in four by three. What they didn't check though, is that the original frame is actually bigger than that. And it it's, it matters where that frame is. Yeah. You can't do a sweeping change to fix that problem. And Buffy has the exact same issue. When Buffy was re-released, uh, it was it was remastered. I'm doing air quotes again. And what they done is they remastered it into widescreen without realizing that when it was shot, it was shot for four by three. They never intended it to work in widescreen. Mm. There's like light posts and stuff on the side of the frame. Sometimes there's crew hiding behind stuff on the side of the frame because they, they did not imagine ever that that show would go 16 by nine. And so for them, safe frame was four by three. So all that stuff has to be removed in post if you want to do it widescreen or you have to play it in four by three. And when they tried to fix it, they did a weird color grade to it. Oh. And if you go back and watch, there's scenes that are supposed to be at night that are like this weird blue color instead. <laughs> and it makes, it's like, it's like just a terrible, terrible job of remastering the show because it was done very cheaply. And it's like, if that's the only version that's on streaming and you can't buy the DVDs anymore, then that's the only version that new fans are ever going to see. And that's fucked and up. It's like, it's like a weird wall for new fans, right? Yeah, um, like that's that's fucking strange, man. Did you see also the backlash for Boyfriend Dungeon that just came out? I, I saw the backlash in that I saw the headlines, but I haven't played it yet, so I decided so not to dig into the news. I have been playing it, and I've, been, yeah, and I've been enjoying it. So like at the very start of the game, it gives you content warnings. And like one of the options it gives you is like, um, you can get texts from a character that is your mum in the game. Um, it's all supportive, but it gives you the option because depending on like, what your experience like maybe you don't want to have a mother figure in the game so like we can remove this if you want and it also gives you uh, a content warning like some characters in the game uh like there's like emotional manipulation and that kind of thing and then it turns out one of the like the antagonist in the game is this kind of like nazi-esque character that really wants to um, make moves on you and date you and despite your rejections will like kiss your hand and do all this kind of stuff against your wishes and um, and then it, and, and it goes into like a whole other thing even further than that and fans are like uh, like outcrying being like you didn't give us adequate warning about this kind of content even though there was like technically a warning and they're calling mm -hmm. out for the developers to patch it and either give the option to remove it or just remove it entirely and and like and like there's yeah, there's wow. a lot of fans are like are, are really crying out for this and there's this debate being like should the devs give in to the fans in my opinion, I don't think they should because it's a pretty integral part to the story of the game. But maybe it's just more how to handle uh, the content warning. But also, how do you handle mm. the content warning without spoiling stuff too much? Yeah, that's true. That's true. That, how do you how do you do that in a way that retains the, the the cohesion of the story elements? You you want to reveal things at certain stages. Yeah, and quote unquote like the integrity of the art, 
right? Because mm, mm. um, you know, it, like, if if you say like, you know, this this character kills this person, it's like, all right, well, that's now also a spoiler. And yeah, and, and it, like, if I know that's happening versus if I didn't know it happens, it it completely changes the tone in the context. Yeah, I wonder about stuff like that. Where uh, I just realized, I don't think that uh, Erica had a content warning on it. No, it didn't. And and there's some pretty heavy stuff in that game, especially. There's some pretty heavy stuff in that game. Yeah, I wonder if that's a sign of the times. When did Erica come out? Uh, I think 2019. So it's not that long ago. So it should. I would. I would argue that you. Could, yeah, August 2019. 2019. We knew about things like trigger warnings and stuff. That was that was happening in 2019. And Erica has a lot of like drugging people against their will. A lot of drugging. A lot of uh, uh, gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot of that. So uh, it's interesting. Um, it, and like that. Did Bandersnatch have something on it? No. I mean, Bandersnatch has got quite a bit of uh, suicide themes and things like that. Um. But also, like that, like like film stuff may not have that just because like they rely on the on the classification system. Which <laughs> that's true. There's a heavy reliance on the classification for films where they don't need to do that. That's true. That's and true. I also have like we've been recording for an hour and a half now, so I'm not going to get into this whole other tangent because I'll do it for another episode. Mm. But classification system is particularly Australian's classification system. I have a whole thing about. Oh, put put a pin in that one. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that another time. Absolutely. Um, let's 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 uh, circle back to that. I think in the end, uh, I can safely say that both Erica and Bandersnatch, I think, yeah. are something new. I don't think that it's fair to say that one is a good game and a bad movie, or vice versa, because I think that they're both attempts at doing something that that is new and we don't actually have a name for. Or they call it like an interactive movie experience. That's a terrible name. Somebody in marketing needs to spend some time and come up with a better name for it. Well, yeah, you know, it's so, some sort of portmanteau of game and movie or something. I don't know, but do better. Come up with it because I do think there's a future in this. Yeah, there's more to this. There's possibility for this. I don't know what it is, but as as a creative, as someone who makes movies and plays games, I want to do more of this. I want to see more of this. It was good in that front, and I'm absolutely engaged engaged by the concept of it. Right. Erica, like the tagline on it is an interactive thriller. Bandersnatch, uh, the tagline on that for Netflix is an interactive special. Um, that, that they don't, I don't think they use the word movie, but like that's like they're going for that movie audience. Both of them, I think I enjoyed and didn't enjoy for different reasons, but I was engaged by both of them and I want to, and I definitely want to see what more can be done in that. Uh, it, 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 yeah, I, this is not dead at all. It's 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 the very beginning of something, uh, and I can't wait to see more. And it's definitely it's very much like blending that like what can be done in both film and games, which I uh, is entirely all my shit. I'm so here for that. Um, yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, this this is this. I, I think like most of this episode actually wasn't about Bandersnatch and Erica, but hey, I guess that's podcasting. It was. It was. In a way, it was. <laughs> Streaming and distribution and privacy. Yeah, sick. (laughs)